Genesis 17 and verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Brian Bales. And today we'd like to talk to you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis 17 and 18 with you today. Before we do that, we want to let you know how to get in touch with us. There are a few different ways that you can get in touch with us. We've got our uh, particular websites for the congregations that we work with. But uh, the best way to get in touch with us is through our email walking through the book at protonmail.com. We encourage you to email us about anything. If you have an idea about a topic about the show, uh, or if you have a question that you want us to kind of look at, or if uh, you've got some, some uh, constructive uh, criticism maybe, or maybe, maybe we're just totally off the rails and you want to just uh, help, help uh, steer us right. We certainly are open to any and all feedback. So that's walking through the book at protonmail.com. You can also go to northcolumbuschristians.com, which is the website which uh, typically hosts this podcast. And also you can go to gardencitycoc.org. And that's the website of the congregation that Bryant Bales works with in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, I work with the North Columbus Church of Christ at uh, in Columbus, Mississippi. We encourage you to come and uh, worship with us if at all possible. And uh, thankful for your time today in listening to the podcast. Brent, would you take a few minutes to go over sort of the flow of the program? Yeah, so uh, uh, with walking through the book, our goal uh, with each episode is just to do just that. We're just reading through scripture and striving to read chapter by chapter through the, the book of the Bible. And we're starting with Genesis from the very beginning. And in this episode, for instance, we'll be reading two chapters, 17 and 18, and just making some uh, just initial observations as we read the text. And we'll look, try to look more specifically as we go on through the program, looking at themes and applications that we find as well. Um, just trying to let the text guide us, um, trying to let God's word um, stand on its own and really strive to learn from God's word lessons that the text itself teaches. So. Um, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's such an encouraging and good way to, to read and learn from God's word. So, uh, we're looking forward to you joining us in that today. Very good. And of course, that's not really a typical thing that you find in the religious world today. Most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, uh, <clears throat> most of the time you have, uh, situations where, like we've discussed before, you're studying a book about the Bible rather than just the Bible itself. And so, um, we're thankful for you uh, taking the time to listen to this podcast today. We're about to get into our reading. Bryant will be reading Genesis chapter 17, and I'll read Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 17. This will be from the New King James Version. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, 
but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant you shall keep. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is one hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day Abraham was circumcised, and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Genesis 18 Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, and said quickly, Make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. 
And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again, and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So uh, now we, as we begin to look at these two chapters, we want to make some initial observations, just some things that pop up out at us, things that kind of catch our interest, even as we read it together in the recording of this episode. Bryant, what are some initial observations that you have? Well, something that I've noticed um, that's very interesting that I've just always overlooked Back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. So he said, One born in my house is my heir. And Ishmael wasn't born yet. And Abram was told, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. I've always overlooked he does not mention Sarah there or Isaac. He just says, One who comes from your own body. So that being the case... I didn't realize that Sarah had justification to actually fully believe that through Hagar, that could be the child of the promise. And I've always kind of taken it as an act of like impatience or unfaithfulness. But like if she was really convinced that she couldn't have children, then all that was a part of that promise was that it come from Abram's body. It's not until chapter 17, uh, verse 16 that he that god reveals i will give you a son by her that's the first time that's said so god doesn't clarify that part of the promise until right here and i just i've always overlooked that and i just think that's that's really interesting um yeah i just i've always overlooked that that is interesting because uh you know what i've read is that the typical custom of the day was that if your wife is barren, it would be actually well within cultural bounds. And, and I mean, 
well within what the community would think of as okay to say, okay, here's my mm-hmm. handmaid. You can have a child mm-hmm. through her and it'll still be your child. And we'll just kind of go along, just sort of assume it in, in that way. And so, uh, but, but again, you know, the big problem there is that we're thinking about this in, you know, they were thinking about this initially, it seems in maybe a worldly, more worldly fashion. Um, and, and, but, but I think you make a good point. God did say, Hey, it's going to come from you. And that could be the reason that Abraham went along with what Sarah, Sarah suggested and just said, okay, let's try this. Um, obviously that's not what's going to work out here. And, uh, so it's, it's interesting that God's promises, he's, he's laying them down, but at the same time, he continues to sort of, uh, build on them and specify on them and just kind of say, okay, this is really, you know, guiding Abraham in all these ways. And, you know, we, we got to call him Abraham. Now I got so used to calling him Abram. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's great how the Lord just gently seems to lead Abraham to the place that he wants him to be. Well, it's, it's just so interesting that God, he keeps reconfirming his promise and adding to it, you know? Like, the covenant God made with Abraham wasn't just something he said one time. It's like he's, I guess it's kind of like in, in John chapter 1. Let me, let me find the verse so I can mention specifically where this is said. It's something said about Jesus in John chapter 1, uh, verse 16. Of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. I think some translations will say grace upon grace. And it's kind of like that with Abram, like God is continuing to stack blessings on top of blessings on top of blessings. Um, and like this covenant had no adequacy in it. Like it was above and beyond in every possible way. And I think maybe even a part of God not clarifying initially that it was Sarah that it would come through. That's just another part of the added grace that it's it's not just that it would be a son it's specifically that this son would come through this woman who was really his wife who would get too old to even have children by her own ability so it's like every part of the every part of the covenant just becomes more and more exceedingly marvelous as it goes on in Abraham's life and that's just that's just amazing you know that's an interesting observation because i mean really where in the scriptures do we see God literally laying everything out at once? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the closest we get, I think, is the giving of the law to mm. the Israelites, but even that is sort of repeated and built on in, right. in different ways. Right. And so um, that that should tell us something. When people, I mean, maybe this is getting into application a little bit, when, when people are looking for just a definitive, quick answer, mm. okay, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, what is... Uh, what, what does it mean to be saved or you know, how, how can, how can we be saved? Well, that takes some time to study and figure out. Uh, there's not one passage. I mean, there are multiple passages we could turn to and look at, but there's, I don't think there's one specific passage that just lays it out all together. And you just take that passage and run with it. God expects us to actually listen to him over an extended period of time. Mm. I think. And I think that's that's part of what we're getting here. Um, very good observation there. You know, one of the things that pops out at me is the fact that you know Ab- Abraham Abraham laughs at the idea that mm. he's going to have a son mm. at his old age, and then Sarah does the same thing. Basically, it would seem, but uh, she's rebuked, and Abraham's not. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, hey, mm-hmm. if we've got uh, feminists talk about the patriarchy, <laughs> I mean, you know, is God part of the patriarchy? I mean, you got, this is the time of the patriarchs, of course. But, uh, but you know, is God, is God just taking it easy with Abraham and not, not, you know, being very harsh possibly with Sarah? Well, I think you've got to take the implication of the fact that since Abraham is not rebuked, that this laugh is not really a laugh of disbelief. And in fact, to build on that in Romans 4 and verse 19, uh, you can read 19 through 22 actually, and see that God, excuse me, when God made this promise that, uh, 
It says there that he did not waver. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So to me, that that really paints the picture that Abraham believed it. There wasn't any question that God could do this in his mind, but it's more of a laugh of seemingly amazement or just, wow, I can't believe this is going to be happening to me. You know, how great this is. Um, sometimes we get this good news and we start laughing, right? I think that's the idea that Abraham uh, it has here. No, I think that's uh, I think that's a great point. Yeah, because I was thinking before we actually started uh, this podcast today, you know, I was kind of reading the text before, that it's interesting that Romans 4 quotes Genesis 15 verse 6, and yet the focus is in this time frame, which is years later. So it's almost like that same quality of faith from Genesis 15 was here, and it's almost like God was building on that mustard seed of faith from its foundation um, and I, just like you said, Romans, Romans chapter four, you know, in kind of giving in an exposition of what was all within that faith, you know, the focus is that his faith was completely within what God promised and exactly how he promised to do it when he made the promise here. So it does, it does seem to speak to the fact that Abraham's, Abraham's laugh was, um, different than it might appear to be on the surface, you know? Even even with him saying, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Um, I can think about other books of the Bible where there's something like that, where someone says something that actually is coming from a place of faith, even though it's questioning or kind of wanting to think more about how God is fulfilling this promise. So one book of the Bible, and I'll try to kind of say this succinctly, but Habakkuk, uh, I may not be pronouncing that right, um, but it's a it's a very short prophetic book. It's only three chapters, and uh, Habakkuk is a book where it begins with the prophet actually questioning God, but the questioning is coming from faith, not from a lack of faith. So God, so God talks to him. God actually has a, a full conversation with Habakkuk. And I think about that here, where Abraham's question, or I guess his statement, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, you know, God helping someone to understand how he's working out his promise, I think is a response to faith, not a response to a lack of faith. And Habakkuk, at the end of that book, I mean, he comes around to where God right, is. Right, that's right. And and he says, you know, you're righteous, you're good in doing these things. Right. And so... To me, I get that imagery of, you know, when a child doesn't, isn't able to get what they want, but maybe they have the right kind of response mm. in the sense that, you know what, okay, I, I understand, I'm kind of bummed out about it. I mean, and then just ask their parent, why can't, why can't it be this way? Or why can't it, why can't it do this or that? That's not a rebellious tantrum. And I think anybody would understand that. That's a child who's wrestling with these thoughts and these feelings. I want it to be this way, but I'm accepting that it can't be that way. And and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think uh, I think there needs to be as much of that. I mean, just I'm getting still wrapping my head around the idea of being a father and. I think there needs to be, as a child grows up, there needs to be as much as possible, give them a reason for why it can't be this way. Or, or you know, just having it, you know, it's my way. There, there will certainly be times where we have to say, this is my way. And, and that's how God is sometimes, right? But there need to be a, as much as possible uh, that gentleness, that, that gentle nudging that said, no, this, this is the way it needs to be. Yeah, and and uh, and I think that's that's the idea I get from this. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because I was talking to someone uh, about this just recently that there is a very fine line between sincere questioning and asking questions from the motive of rebellion. Like you know what I mean? Like you're asking questions because you actually don't, you just blatantly don't like an idea. You want to get out of a situation that demands something from you that you just you don't want to give up. You don't want to follow it. So you question it because there's there's rebellion involved. There's the de- desire to kick away. 
But then there's another form of questioning where it's a desire to draw closer. There's there's sincerity in it. And I think discovering the difference requires patience and requires long suffering and love and kindness. And I think kind of like in the latter part of chapter 18, where God allows Abraham to approach him and question him about his justice and judgment on Sodom, that, first of all, it brings out God's sincerity. Uh, but it also shows Abraham's sincerity as well, that God allowing Abram, uh, or at this point Abraham, to, to draw so close so as to talk to him and question him shows he's approachable, but it shows how sincere Abraham is as well. And I think it's it's like God is helping us to see sincerity in himself and sincerity in Abraham. Um, it's almost like God is allowing Abram's heart to be revealed through their interactions, but also God is allowing Abraham to reveal his own heart through these interactions. Uh, it's just amazing how Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and gets to the place where it separates thoughts, motives, intentions. And that's what God is doing with Abraham. God is exposing this faith and the sincerity involved in this faith. And it's it's God's word and the patient speaking of it in truth and in love and in sincerity that really brings out where we are, you know, in, in searching. Are we really searching to draw close to God? Or when we get faced with truth, is our searching or our questioning really not involved in seeking to know what God's will really is? You know, and he, I think with Abraham, God, Abraham always wants to know truly what God's will really is on a matter. And, and, and we mentioned Sarah laughing in disbelief, right? And in fact, it seems like she tries to sort of uh, avoid the fact that she had laughed afterward. But, you know, again, we're not sharing that to harp on right. Sarah because you look in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament speaks of Sarah in glowing terms. And, for example, just, just one passage, First Peter 3 and verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, are not afraid with any terror. That's in the context of the Lord talking about the fact that uh, the former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. It's the idea that that Sarah was a wonderful, good, faithful woman of God, and 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 so again, just wanted to point that out. We're not trying to necessarily bash her, but this seems to be a moment where she's coming to terms with this, maybe in a different way than Abraham. So now we want to consider some of the deeper aspects of what we've already been talking about and discuss this in the greater context of the Bible. Again, the Bible has a context. I think we've got to look at these 66 books, and while we recognize that they are distinct, they were written at different times, they were written by different people, there is a harmonious message throughout all of them. It is the message of Christ. It's the message of the fact that our Creator gave Himself for us to provide His blood so that we can be saved from our sins. Uh, but what what comes into that? That's the whole point of, of Scripture, I believe. But what what foundational aspects are we talking about? How does this all link together? What are some ties that we can put together here? Um, and that's what we want to do with this section. Um, as we consider how old Abram is at this point. Um, God at this point is giving him more about the promises that he's given. And uh, it's interesting when you look up the word Abram or the, the name Abram, it basically means exalted father. The AB ab is father. And so for example, Abba, Abba father, uh, that's the idea. And so Ram is exalted, so it's the idea of the exalted father, or father exalted. And then when you change it to Abraham or Abraham, it is the idea that he's the father of multitudes. 
And I think that's one of the big things that we see is that um, he's not going to be called Abram anymore. He's going to be called Abraham. And, you know, names are important to God. Um, All throughout the scriptures, you see uh, a name being very, very important. And so, but you see this wonderful relationship um, between Abram, Abraham and God. Verse three, he fell on his face and God talked with him. And the fact that he's going to have this covenant with him. You know, who else at this time was having this kind of relationship with God? We don't really have any evidence of that. Maybe there were others, but specifically Abraham is singled out as being the one that God is taking and giving all of these promises to. Um, as far as those promises, we, we have to, of course, know that God fulfills his promises. And every time we talk about Abraham and the promises, we want to discuss and we want to remember the fact that uh, we we got three basic promises. You've got land, nation, and seed promises. You have, uh, in verse 6, exceedingly fruitful, many nations. So the idea that uh, many people are going to come of him. We have the nation of Israel. The fullest extent of that, I think, is in Exodus, where you see them basically becoming a nation, more or less. And then uh, with the land, he talks about the land in verse 8, an everlasting possession. And then when you consider the seed, and it's interesting when you look at this, the, the promises in chapter 17 are of what nature? Hmm. Um, look, look over at uh, when you look over at chapter eighteen, and we see in verse eighteen: "Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him." That's a spiritual promise. That's a spiritual promise in the sense of the coming of the Messiah one day. But it's interesting: the Messiah is not mentioned here. Uh, unless I'm missing something, Brian, would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that tells us something about what's to come next. Yeah, the, the circumcision covenant is really interesting. You know, because um, I was thinking uh, as you were talking about, you know, the covenant again, just the the theme of Genesis with God separating, you know, dividing, and that's kind of like what all these things are dealing with in 17 and 18 because God is separating Abram out from all other nations and peoples. He, with the circumcision, that's a separation of flesh and it's a cutting off. You know, and I think about even Genesis 15, you remember the animals who were cut in half and then fire passed to the center? You know, circumcision is like, it's like a cutting kind of like that, which is, which is very interesting. You know, a cutting, a cutting through, um, so there's, there's a separation of flesh. That's a sign of the covenant. And then, um, Sarah is being separated from Hagar, uh, in Sodom, the righteous are being separated from the wicked. But, but anyway, so back, back to circumcision though. I, I think it's interesting that in this, in, in this context, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of circumcising, I guess you could say like a lot of separating and cutting uh, between things to make very precise separations. Um, but yeah, it's interesting too, that circumcision was like a hidden sign. Uh, so not to be too, too graphic, you know, but that's not something that you wouldn't recognize Abram as being circumcised just because you looked at him, you know, you wouldn't look at Abram and be like, Oh wow, this, this man is in a covenant with God. Wow. And look at all these people around him. All these men are in a covenant with God. You, you wouldn't know that. So it's like, it's, it's a hidden separation. It's a hidden separation, but it's a substantial separation because just like Genesis 15, Abram's work is death and God's work is life. If Abram just circumcises his foreskin, he enters into this astonishing covenant with God where he's going to give him the inheritance of the earth. Nations and kings are going to come from him and God is going to do all these marvelous things. And what he says is, yeah, just cut away, cut off your foreskin and you've entered into this great covenant with me. And so I think it really summarizes our role in so many ways that God asks us to do 
very little separating, very little separating that just involves us dying. It involves death, and, and willfully so. But if we go through that little tiny work of death, God will bring this abundant, exceeding life that is unfathomable in its implications and effect and its ripple through other peoples and other areas. And it's just amazing. So it's like this, this circumcision is, is so simple, but what I think this represents is just so vast and, and incredible. I don't know, Bryant, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I would want to do this at 99. I'm not sure I'd want to do <laughs> yeah. this at 13, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think it's good that most people now, I mean, we get this done when we don't remember it. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's already done and that's great. But, uh, but now I, I, I say that facetiously, um, you know, th- this matter of faith is, is just wonderful that he actually goes right. along with this. Right. He doesn't hesitate on it. He acts upon it. Um, and at the same time, something needs to be said there as well about the fact that, you know, baptism is uh, kind of compared to circumcision in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of people that try to explain away baptism and say that, well, that's not really necessary. It's not really important. What if Abraham had tried to do that? You think that really would have worked? Yeah, no um, way. Yeah. Yeah, we have to enter into covenant relationship with God. And uh, again, we encourage any of our listeners, if you don't know exactly what we're talking about there, uh, email us and, and let's talk about it. Let's let's discuss that. We'd love to discuss that with you. Yeah, and I'd even just say as a, a quick side reference to that, Colossians chapter 2, 9 through 12, talks about mm-hmm. how at the point at the point of baptism, Christ performs the full circumcision of cutting away the body of sin from from us. You know, he, he makes that fine separation. He cuts it away. But it's not a cutting away of the flesh, and it's not a circumcision made with hands. It's a circumcision made without hands. So in some yeah. ways, circumcision is not an exact parallel, but it is a parallel. And the parallel yeah. the parallel is made in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, uh, by the Apostle Paul, making the point of, it, the circumcision we undergo does actually um, involve our salvation. And so it is at the point of baptism that that separation happens. And good things for us to keep in mind and think about. Uh, of course, Sarah is involved in this promise as well and in this covenant. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the fact that, you know, he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Mm. And, you know, I do think it's great. I do think that's that's a sense where, Abraham doesn't hate Ishmael. He doesn't right. hate Hagar. In fact, I mean, he would he would prefer things to just work out that way. It right. seems at, le- at least yeah. at this point. But uh, but I think there's a I think there's something to be said here too about the thought that you know different ways than the ways that God wants in our lives sometimes seem so um, preferable. And again. There can be this sense, I think, when we're wrestling with these things to honestly say, I wish it could be this way, you know. Mm. Um, now, we have to be careful when we say that. I, I think we have to be very careful because, uh, you know, I've heard some Christians say, well, I would have done it a different way if I were God. I'm not sure I would want to say that. I'm not sure if I would want to go that far. But uh, but at the same time, we can wrestle with these things and kind of really and, and, and that's again all throughout Scripture. We see that wrestling, and God never, God never has a problem with that. You know, if He's powerful enough to do what He does, then He can handle honest questioning and honest investigation. Uh, but as you said, Brian, earlier, you know, if it's if it's not honest, if it's something else, then then that's something else entirely, and He doesn't have a lot of patience for that, really. But He says clearly, "My covenant I will establish with Isaac. This is the way it's gonna it's gonna work out." And of course, the word Isaac means laughter. So I have to wonder, you know, the the, the name Isaac is not mentioned until verse 19, mm. after Abraham has laughed. Mm. And the name Isaac means laughter. That is interesting. I have to wonder, I have to wonder if, you know, God's like, okay, you, you know, may, maybe God was just appreciative of him laughing with amazement at his reaction to this. Right. Yeah, because it is yeah. that marvelous. You know, it's like, wow. And maybe like, that's like, I mean, what if when I heard about heaven and having my sins forgiven, that was so amazing to me that I literally laughed like, what? My sins could be, how can, what? That's, mm-hmm. how can it be? But out yeah. of belief, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost like it's, it's too good to be true, yes. but it is true. You know, I think about when somebody, uh, 
I've seen like, you know, commercials where people are advertising giveaways and then they put in the commercial, somebody receives this big check at their house and they laugh out of shock and disbelief. But it's like, it's like, it's too good to be true, but it's, it's still true, you know? And, and, oh man, salvation should be more than that. I mean, who cares about having a son? Like we get eternal life with God himself as our inheritance. And we know Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, wow. You know, and, and, and Romans four, I think something I failed to mention earlier when thinking about verse 17 of chapter 17, Romans four actually specifically says when Abram, when Abraham considered his own body and Sarah's womb as being dead and considered the reality of her age, that at that moment he chose to believe God's promise, even acknowledging the reality that she's too old. So I think that that does completely clarify in verse 17 that his shock was a shock of Mm. belief of it being too good to be true, not of doubting or disbelief. And I think that makes verse 18 a demonstration of Abraham's love for Ishmael. That yes, I I believe that you'll do it this way, but oh, I love Ishmael and he has come from my body. May he live Mm -hmm. before you. I think it shows that Abram really truly desired for Ishmael to be blessed and didn't want him to be left out at all. And I think that's why in verse 20, God says, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Very good. And, you know, crossing into chapter 18 as well, I think, I think we need to deal with the question, are these, are these visitors that Abraham gets, I mean, are they angels? Are they an embodiment of the Lord? Um, What's, what's going on there? Um, What do you think? Yeah, I think um, Hebrews chapter 13, when it's mentioning hospitality, um, when it says some have, you know, by showing hospitality to strangers, have entertained angels unaware. Do you do you think that might be related to this? Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be related to some degree um, because you're looking at a book that's written to Jews primarily. Right, right. And they would have latched on to this. They would have seen this as, oh, yes, like when Abraham, you know, entertained. And you know what? I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't done the reading to know this for sure. But um, do you think it's possible that that passage in the New Testament may have been, excuse me, may, may have uh, uh, been the point where people began to actually attribute this to the idea of angels? I, I hmm. You know. Maybe that happened beforehand. It's hard to know, but he calls them my Lord. And, you know, maybe it was just out of respect for a stranger, but I'm not sure that that term my Lord will be used just for a stranger coming from the road. I get the sense that Abraham gets the idea that these are spiritual beings. Yeah, I think so. I'll just, I'll give you my opinion on this. I think what God is doing here is letting us see Abram's heart. I think what God has done with Abram is he's taken him from being a stranger, uh, just a, a nobody. You know, who's Abram? I mean, some guy over in Ur of the Chaldeans. Who cares? You know, it's mm-hmm. some guy. And he's taken this some guy, and he has given this some guy, stranger man, the absolute best of what he's been intending to do from before creation. Uh, Ephesians chapter three mentions that the the fulfillment of these promises was God's eternal purpose. So I think Abram understands kind of like Romans four, like Abram understands these big inferences of God's promises in relation to him. And I think some of those inferences have here resulted in application. Abram hasn't just been inwardly encouraged. He has actually been completely changed as a person Mm. into Mm. the very form of God because of the grace he's received and God's grace appearing to him has instructed him to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and instead to live righteously and soberly in this present age, looking for and hastening the appearing of God, along with being zealous for good works, like I said about Titus chapter two, our response to God's grace. So I think Abram, just again, my opinion is that Abram doesn't yet know there's their angels until God actually clarifies his promise in the tent after the meal. Mm. So I think when he calls them Lord, I think he sees that God is treating him like a Lord as a stranger and God is greater than him. So who is he to not look at other strangers and think of them as Lord over him? And I just think it's amazing that Abram gives these strangers the best of everything he has. He does it quickly. He does it urgently. He does it lovingly. And I think he's just imitating what he's received from God in whatever way he can. I think that's just 
uh, very humbling. It's very humbling because I think with, I mean, with the promises we've received, are is this what we've become even? So it's it's very humbling. And it is humbling in the sense too that, I mean, just in the basic obvious sense that, um, of, of hospitality itself. And we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get back to that with application. We'll just kind of quickly go through that. But um, yeah, there's a lot of good good features here. A lot of good things going on. Um, and I think just part of the lesson there is too that that Abraham, I think as you say, he is closer to God than he was before even. And his faith, I think, just keeps growing and keeps keeps getting better and better. And when that's where you are, that it, it opens you up to um, being more of who God wants you to be and therefore right. being around his people a lot more. And mm-hmm. uh, and so that's that's kind of what I would what I would see here as well. Um, now, if these are angels, then uh, he indeed is making them uh, food to eat and they eat they eat together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, just an interesting thing to consider there. Now, in Genesis 19, verse 1, it does say the two angels came to Sodom. Yes. So I think I think that, that may clarify that these are indeed angels as well. Yeah. And one of them being the angel of the Lord. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I appreciate you bringing that up because uh, I'd forgotten about that particular verse. You've got this direct statement in verse 10 of chapter 18. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And so there's this, I mean, it really seems like there is this kind of uh, uh, coalescing that Abraham probably gets here. That, oh, well, right. he's saying the same thing that God's telling me. So, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah, wonderful, wonderful thoughts. So how about Abraham... When he's talking to God, and again, I think this gets back to sort of a theme in these chapters uh, of mm. of standing in in the way, almost, and just kind of arguing with God or wrestling with God. Um, again, I, I don't think Abraham does it quite like you see in other places, but again, I would I would I would bring up Gideon, I would bring up Nathaniel from uh, John chapter one. I would bring up Thomas. I would bring up men who seek evidence, right? Or really more specifically in this, I think a great parallel is what happens with Moses later on, right? Um, Mm -hmm. God sees the misconduct of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. He says, I'm going to destroy this people and I'm going to make a great nation of you. Moses is given this decision. He said, you can be Abraham 2.0. But, uh, mm-hmm. but instead Moses actually stands in the way and tries to intercede for the people there. Right. In the same sense, Abraham's doing this. And, and I think this is a reasonable thing. Um, you know, in verse 25 of chapter 18, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, as to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Um, again, this is not a rebellious, petulant child. This is a child who is honestly saying, this doesn't make sense, you know. Um, and, but, but the reality, of course, is that God already has a plan in motion, it would seem. He's going to, try, he's going to get Lot out of there by hook or by crook, it seems. And, uh, and we can be thankful for that because um, God knows what he's going to be doing. And, and, and I think, you know, the question in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? That's not a question as if God was going to hide this from Abraham. It's almost a rhetorical question that there's no way he's going to hide from Abraham what he's doing. How can, how can he hide uh, from us what he's doing? He reveals everything to us. Um, he, especially with the new covenant, he's revealed all the mystery. And we know everything. We can we can have all things. We can we can see the promises fulfilled, and uh, so I think there's a lot of good things there. Of course, Abraham's willingness to stand in the breach and say, 
will you save it for this much, for this much, and for this much? He it, he feels like he's sticking his neck out. He feels like he's taking a risk even in saying these things, it seems. Mm. But yet, of course, God is patient and kind, and he says, no, even if there are ten there, ten righteous there, I'm not going to destroy the place. And uh, just a lot of interesting things there. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, like, it's almost like that question, verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, you know, in, in the preceding verse as well, when Abram has become such a great and mighty nation. Uh, I mean, who's he Who's he asking that to? <laughs> you know, is he, yeah. you know, it's almost like he's talking to us, you know, like, again, like the Bible is God revealing himself and making himself known to us and it's so helpful because it's like God's desire isn't to hide things. Mm-hmm. His desire is to reveal things. Yeah. And I think about like, aren't parables like that? Jesus says, you know, the goal of a parable is actually to reveal. Mm-hmm. But to those who are not of faith, it will be further concealed and it'll actually harden their heart even more. So you can see like God does re- desire to reveal himself, but who does he desire to reveal himself to? Mm-hmm. To those of the same quality of faith as Abraham. You know, they're the ones because, you know, God knows his ways are higher than our ways. And he designed us to be searchers and seekers. Mm. And that's what Abraham was. Abraham was searching and seeking. I would add to that as well that, uh, you know, it's possible that this is just simply uh, the father and the son speaking within the Godhead. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Just as far as like that intercommunication within the Godhead. Right, right. We see that going on earlier in the book. You know, mm. let us make man in our image. Right. Uh, after yeah, our likeness. Um, mm. So... Uh, and then Tower of Tower of Babel, let us go down, and, right. and so right. the, the, it speaks to this intercommunication between the Father, Son, and the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so again, we don't know all the nuts of having nut, all the nuts and bolts of that. But that's that's how I've always read that particular section. Mm-hmm. But I think I think what you say is is a valid point. In, in some ways, I mean, why why did the Spirit record these things so that we see it, so that we we read right. it, you know? Is God going to just destroy Sodom just under the table and not, not even tell Ab- Abraham about it? No, he's going to tell him what he's going to do. So, very good points there. What do you think about the ways Abram, I guess, I really, like you were saying, you need to get in the habit of calling him Abraham. <laughs> but what do you think of the ways Abraham refers to himself when he's talking to God in the latter part of this? Yeah, again, I, I I take it from the sense that Abraham feels like he is taking a risk and really mm. continuing to to ask these questions, and and mm. I don't think it's a matter of distrust or an outright fear of God, uh, as far as a terrified fear. I think it's a sense of reverence. I think it's a sense of of you know I know that you've decided this. I know that you have things under mm. control, mm. but. I still need to know, you know, hmm. and, and I think, I think there's a, yeah. there's a great lesson there for us. Yeah. But. It's interesting too, that he calls God, uh, the judge of all the earth. It's, it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Cause I don't think God has explicitly told Abram that or Abraham rather. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is that understanding that he's, he's going to do the right thing. And I think that's a yeah. that's a lesson for us right. uh really getting into application in terms of judgment. like one of the big struggles uh, that everyone has at some point is God's judgment fair. Mm -hmm. Especially when we're thinking about the reality of eternal hell and eternal consequence for the blink of an eye of life that we live here. Is God just? Is he fair? And the resounding answer through scripture is we can trust God's righteousness. We can trust his judgments. And understanding his judgments should actually compel compel us to do this very thing. I think in myself, what I've noticed, a sign of a lack of trust in God's judgments is I don't try to bring mercy to people. But when I, the more I trust God's judgment and accept his judgment as just and fair, 
that's when I try to bring mercy to people. That's when I try to stand in the gap and do everything I can, I can to be the in-between, to fulfill the role of a priest. I think we see that with the Apostle Paul. I think his life is an example of everywhere he traveled, everywhere he went speaking about the gospel, he accepted God's justice and judgment as fair. And he accepted his role to act as the in-between to bring mercy. So the more the more I've seen I accept God's judgment, the more motivated I become to speak. The person whose parents have already died and mm. they come to understand the truth about salvation and maybe their parents didn't follow that plan of salvation. And they say to themselves, well, if I follow this, if I do this, what I'm saying is that my parents are condemned to hell. Mm. And the thing is that that does reveal a lack of understanding of God's justice and his judgment, because what you're doing is essentially you're taking that away from God and you're putting it on yourself to determine mm. You know, I'm I'm going to do or not do this based upon what happens with my parents. No, I'm sorry. It it comes down to us. It comes down to us individually. Right. And, uh, and and I think Abraham sees that. He sees this distinction. He's not part of Sodom. He's not part of what they're doing. But he knows Lot's there. Right. And he's concerned about his nephews. Concerned about his family. And he wants them to be saved. But even beyond that, he doesn't even refer to Lot by name. He generally talks about. What if there are righteous people there? Mm. And, and you know, there's something to be said here about, you know, people wonder, when is the end of the world going to come? And there's a, there's a part of me that really feels like, and this is, not, this is nothing from, from Scripture per se, but there's really a part of me that feels like that God's going to bring about Judgment Day when you've got a vast minority, <laughs> I say vast minority, uh, a very, very minuscule minority of faithful left on the world. I think that's mm. that would be and, and 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 at the same time there is no possibility for the others to come to a knowledge of the truth. I think when when that's all out of the I think you would have to have sort of a flood type situation like a pre-flood type situation. Um mm. again that's just my speculation but I, I think about that in the same sense. You know, Jesus says, uh, excuse me, God says, Jesus says too, I guess, um even for the sake of 10 I'm not going to destroy it. Uh, that that is how generous and how how gracious God is, and uh, and and that should inform the ways that we that we look at our life and look at the life lives of others. Yeah, and I think a lot of that too gets down to misunderstanding our role when we don't look at this the right way. Mm-hmm. God sees sin very clearly. God is grieved by sin in ways we can't fathom. And he lets us not see those things like him. He lets he calls us and helps us when we need a lot of patience to even get out of a sinful condition. So what we see more clearly than the reality of sin oftentimes is our need for mercy. And I think Abraham accepts his role in the right way. God knows the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows it's bad. He knows it's real bad. And he knows the environment there is destroying all righteousness within the city to the point where when he sends the angels, I mean, Lot does some things that we'll see, Lord willing, that are very strange for someone who is a righteous person, you know, but Abram doesn't know that, and that's okay. All Abram has to know is people need mercy, and that's what we need to know too. God needs us to know that people need mercy and that he's willing to extend that mercy but sin is real. And when God brings his judgment, it is never at the expense of mercy. And that when God executes judgment, it's when there's already been over opportunity to the point where people have been negatively affected by the consequence of sin already. So Abram just needed to know that people need mercy. God knew though, that it really was time. So that's just to say that we can really trust everything involved in God's judgment. And when somebody is struggling with, well, what about this person? What about that person? Well, you can trust God more than you can trust what you think the condition of a person is. God knows the condition of a person. And if a person's condition was anywhere to be at a place where God could extend mercy, uh, he would extend that mercy. Um, 
And and I think that that kind of relieves the veil of what seems like righteousness sometimes. If if somebody appears good or appears righteous, we really need to remember there's none righteous, no, not one. And we need to let God define for us, uh, and 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 let let Him let let ourselves be satisfied with His definition of unrighteousness and righteousness, um, because it's when it's when we depart from those things that we begin to uh, question God in a rebellious way rather than in a sincere way. If that makes sense. So there's a lot of things going on in these two chapters. Um, you know, as far as application, just kind of stepping back a little bit, uh, we need to be hospitable in every possible way. Mm. Um, that's what God expects us to be. Uh, when someone shows up at our door with a need, we need to try to, to make that need, uh, you know, fulfilled as much as possible, um, and help as best we can. Uh, and interesting, you know, Abraham, he took what he had and, and he went to work at providing it. And, and that's the lesson for us. We don't have to wait for someone else to do this for us. We, we've got to be willing to do it uh, ourselves. Mm. Um, and then just the basic sense of understanding God's promises and trusting in those promises, even though they may not seem so real. And the reality of this, too, and I think we've already discussed this, the proof of God's promises to us in the New Covenant is we have much more as far as proof and knowledge and understanding right, right. and things that we can see, things that we can understand than Abraham or Sarah had. Right. You know, what did they have to, to base this on? They had God's word, basically, and that was pretty much it. Uh, and the fact that, that God had blessed him so much, you know, God's taking care of me and all these promises have been fulfilled so far. But these, again, we need to see these promises that God's making to him are not going to be fulfilled in his lifetime, not in the, not in their fullest extent. Mm. And so, and we can appreciate that even though that wasn't there, he could look far off and see that in the same way uh, Christians today can look afar off and see heaven, but at the same time, appreciate the blessings that go along with that, the, the, the lesser fulfillments, you might say, that we can even appreciate today. Just a... A note on uh, verse 12, where Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Have you noticed that she does not call Abraham a Lord out loud, but that's just something she thought? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, verse Peter 3, of course, references that, um, and that's fairly well known. Um, and I guess I'll reference the verse specifically. It's, it's 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 6 is where that's referenced in 1 Peter um, as a as a esteemed quality in God's eyes that Sarah would consider Abram to be her Lord. And I just want to make the point of application that... Um, the fact that she said that within herself shows that her respect for Abram at the core of her being was just extraordinarily high. I mean, remarkably high. This wasn't just something she said. It was the deepest essence of her attitude saw Abram in the most exalted way. And that's such an example for me because I... I don't think that's just something for a wife to her husband. That's a husband to the wife. That a husband to the wife, at the core of his being, God's nature, if 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 I really am being drawn into the very nature of God, if, if I really have faith, the product of that faith will be in bringing others into the highest esteem, into the very essence of my thought process towards them. Um, I think about servants being submissive to their masters, you know, and, and exercising obedience to even harsh masters because of knowledge that authority itself is something to be held into the highest esteem from the innermost core of, of, of our understanding of Christ and what he's done for us. So I, I just think that's so noteworthy that that Sarah, before she even had her son, before it was even confirmed to her that it would be through her that this promised son would come. She had that kind of view of Abram. And you, you can just see so clearly in all of this 
how God's promises and faithfulness to them had already so deeply transformed who these people were. And they weren't just aliens of the flesh. Like they weren't just wandering around Canaan. They truly had become aliens even within themselves from the world. And the world is not worthy of such people. Um, so, so the application of that is it's not just that my actions need to hold others in high esteem. That's, that's just, it's not enough. My attitude needs to hold others in, in such unusual esteem that it moves me even when I think about people to hold them over me in, in ways that are fitting with this. And that's a great lesson for anyone who, you know, if there's someone you think of in your life and you think, well, I just can't respect them, you know? Right. And, and that happens, right? I mean, it, it's difficult. Uh, sometimes people can be immature. Sometimes people can be disrespective or, um, but we've got to push this within ourselves. I mean, again, the wife says of the husband, well, I just can't respect him. Or the husband says to the wife, well, you've got to, you've got to build that up. You've got to build that idea. Um, even if they're not necessarily worthy of respect, um, you, you work toward that. You, you, you be all that you can be. And in the same way, you can be that great example. And that other person may never change, but you still show them the respect and love that, that God wants you to. Right. So very, very good point there. So very, very good things. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll be all the time we have for this. Um, we appreciate you listening today. We're thankful for you. Uh, again, if you would uh, email us at walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com, and uh, the websites will be mentioned in our outro as well. Um, Brunt, you got anything else to add? No, just very thankful again to get to study God's Word with you and appreciate everyone who chose to listen and just hope that God's Word uh, produces in you those things that draw you closer to Him. Well, until we come back together next time, Lord willing, we'll start at Genesis 19. But until then, study well and be lights to his glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.